Welcome to the Light of God's Word broadcast, a broadcast that shines the light of God's Word through expositional teaching of the Word of God. This broadcast is a ministry of Lighthouse Independent Baptist Church in Lewisburg, Tennessee. You can find out more information about our church at www.lewisburglighthouse.com. Hello there, and thank you so much for tuning in to our broadcast. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and we will begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. Uh, this is part two of the lesson of the principles of marriage, so I'm going to take just a moment to uh, do a quicker review. Uh, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Corinthians as he is dealing with challenges that they face. In fact, this challenge that they face it seems, according to the wording now concerning um, what you wrote me, wrote unto me, um, he's writing to them about this challenge that they know they have, and they're asking his advice on. They had sent him a letter and wrote to him concerning this challenge, and it is the issue of marriage. The church at Corinth had an issue understanding God's plan and fulfilling God's plan for marriage. Now, that's not something that's gone away. Even among the church, the saved, born-again believers, marriage still is often an issue. Uh, we looked last week at a little bit of the Roman um, customs of the day and the types of marriages that were practiced. And the fourth type of marriage that we mentioned was the type of marriage that we think of, a good, healthy type of marriage where uh, man and woman agree to marry one another, and they plan to uh, live their life in honor and glory to God through their marriage. But oftentimes, that falls apart and it fails. And one of the reasons I believe this is true is because we don't understand some basic principles of marriage, and sometimes we get a warped spiritual view concerning marriage. And so last week, we began looking at this text and what it teaches us about the principles of marriage. The first thing it taught us was that marriage is good. Marriage is a good thing, and uh, it seemed that there were people among the, the congregation that believed because they were single, they were more spiritual. Can I say this? Being married doesn't make you more spiritual, and being single doesn't make you more spiritual. As we continue to go through 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, you're going to find that we will be dealing with singleness, and reasons you should stay single, and reasons that you shouldn't stay single, based upon not my opinion, but God's Word. So marriage is good. Number two, marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, it seems that we shouldn't have to say that, but the reality is, in today's society, they teach something 
totally different. In fact, there are many who believe you should be able to marry anything and anybody that you want to. But the Bible teaches us that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's God's Word. And God is the one who created man. God's the one who created woman, and He knows why He created them and how He created them and for what purpose and in what method they are to live. And so we trust God's way over the way of culture. And then thirdly, we said this from verses 3 and 4, marriage protects against the temptations of immorality. Now, having a proper marriage doesn't, I say a proper marriage, being proper in your marriage does not mean that you have insured yourself against any immorality or that your spouse will as well. But can I tell you this? It sure does go a long way to help protect against the temptations of immorality. And that's where we left off last week. Now we find ourselves down to verse number five. Marriage is permanent. Notice in verse number five, he says, defraud ye not one the other. Now in this context and in this verse, he is speaking, of course, about intimacy in the marriage, but he's also indicating that a marriage is to be a long-term permanent relationship between a man and a woman. Now, obviously, when the marriage breaks down, for whatever reason, there's a deprivation, not only to the intimacy, but also to the relationship. Now, he says you're not to defraud one another. In other words, you're not to use marital intimacy as a bargaining chip. If you do this, then I will. If you do this, then I will. It's not a bargaining chip. There is one exception to depriving one another, and that's given in verse number five as well. Except it be with consent for a time that ye give yourselves to fasting and prayer. In other words, there are three conditions that must be met in order for a spouse not to be intimate. Number one, there must be a mutual agreement by both spouses. Notice it's except it be with consent for a time. Number two, it's only for a limited time. And number three, both spouses are to devote themselves to fasting and prayer. I want you to notice that you may give yourselves, not yourself, but yourselves. This is both the man and the woman have devoted themselves to fasting and to prayer. Throughout the Old Testament, there were times of special religious devotion by the people of God. These times included prayer and fasting, and sometimes, for Samuel chapter 21, uh, and sometimes it included temporary sexual abstinence. Now, Paul stated that this practice of temporary sexual abstinence was to be carried over into the New Testament period as well in this text, that you, you can, if you will, defraud one another, not really defraud one another because it's with consent, you've agreed, but you can withdraw for a purpose. And I say this sometimes, in marriage, a couple faces major crisis, and that major crisis or burden may require a concentrated and focused time of fasting and prayer. Perhaps it's a serious illness or a catastrophe or a difficulty or maybe even an opportunity. It may cause a couple to agree to spend extra time in prayer about the situation and about the circumstances. That's, that's the only time when a couple may agree, according to Scripture, not to be intimate. Once the agreed-upon time is over, however, the Bible teaches that the couple needs to return to normal intimacy. Notice this, verse uh, 5, the last part. And come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. The longer a married couple is not intimate, the greater the risk that one spouse will fall into sexual immorality. 
And so God has has created a plan and a purpose that protects and can build and strengthen a marriage. Before I move on to the final point, I do I do want to note that Scripture gives several reasons for marriage. You know, oftentimes when I'm dealing with someone in premarital counseling, I'll ask this question, so why do you want to get married? What's your reason? And of course, typically the answer is because I love them. And I often will push back just a little bit on that and say, well, you you love a lot of people, but why do you want to get married? And, and the Bible teaches us there are several reasons for marriage. Now understand this, you should marry someone that you love. I, I totally believe that. But there are some reasons biblically for marriage. Number one, marriage is for procreation. God commanded Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 to be fruitful and multiply. God intends for mankind to reproduce itself. Number two, marriage is also for pleasure. Proverbs speaks of a man rejoicing in the wife of his youth. The Song of Solomon highlights the pleasures of marital love. Marriage is also for pleasure. Number three, marriage is a partnership. Woman was created for man, the Bible says, to be help meet for him. Friendship between a husband and a wife is one of the key ingredients of a good marriage. Can I say this to to husbands and wives? Cultivate that partnership. Cultivate that friendship. It's very important. Number four, marriage is a picture of the church. Husbands are to have authority over and to love the wives as Christ has authority over and loves the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. Marriage is a picture of the church. And then lastly, number five, marriage is for purity. It protects from sexual immorality by meeting the need for physical fulfillment. Now, these are the reasons that Scripture gives for marriage. And can we once again reiterate, marriage is permanent. Number five, I want you to notice this in verse number six and seven, celibacy is permissible. Uh, But I speak this by permission and not of commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. Now, there's not a lot known about Paul's marital history. It's likely that he was married because at one time uh, that was required of people in his position as he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. And if, if Paul was, in fact, ordained, he had to be married, at least for a while. But nothing's known as to what happened to his wife. She may have died. She may have left him when he became a Christian. Whatever the case, Paul was single and free from burning sexual passion when he wrote this letter. And he mit- admitted that he saw the advantages in his situation. Paul recognized that God does not call all people to singleness. He apparently didn't struggle with the self-control and Uh, He affirmed that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. In other words, God blesses one person with the gift of singleness, and he blesses another person with the gift of marriage. Sometimes young people wonder whether or not they have the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage, and you say, well, how do we know? Well, it seems that the person who has the gift of singleness generally has a sense of contentment with their status of singleness. That's not to say that there are no struggles with one's state as a single person, that there aren't single people who um, may have some desires to get married, but Paul seems to suggest that a person with the gift of singleness has less of a struggle with self-control in the area of sexual desires. That's why he said in verse 8 and 9, I say therefore unto the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them that they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain 
Let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. A person with a gift of singleness doesn't seem to struggle with that passion as much, and they're able to exercise that self-control, whereas with the gift of marriage, struggles with his or her passion is there. And so it's better for that person to get married than it is for them to burn with passion. And we'll talk more about that next time, but I just wanted to end out here with the fact that celibacy is permissible. Now, some people love to drive old cars, and I know someone who spends a lot of time and money uh, renovating and driving around in antique cars, and they enjoy it. They don't mind the attention that they get from people. We've probably all seen people dressed up in costumes, and, and they don't mind the attention that's thrown to them and uh, the, the old styles of costumes and dress. But meanwhile, modern, faster cars line up behind them waiting for the opportunity to pass and go around those cars unhindered by these people who are throwing it back to yesteryear. Let's face it, when Christians today take seriously the teaching of this chapter and apply them to marriage, they seem almost as out as touch with modern society as that antique car owner going 30 miles an hour down the highway. People will gawk at you. They'll wait for you to move out of the way so that they can go on their way unhindered, enjoying the way of modern society. Let me say this. Let me encourage you here. Despite the attitudes of the world, we must not look at Christian marriage like an old car, but instead as a precious treasure from God. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you understand the great value of marriage and the fact that we have to work hard to preserve what God has so clearly given to us in his word. Marriage is good between one man and one woman, protecting against the temptations of immorality, a permanent bond. And yes, for those who have the gift of singleness, celibacy is permissible. But can I say this? Let us not just know these principles. May God help us and guide us and strengthen us to put these principles that God has left for us in his word for us to know, to study, and to apply. Help us to apply those principles and to practice those principles in our life. Whether you're married and have the gift of, uh, of marriage, or you're single and have the gift of singleness, or maybe you are a single person who has the gift of marriage, but you're just not married yet. Let's practice those principles, and as we continue through this chapter, we'll learn more about the unmarried and the widows as well. But for this week, I want to remind you to be a light to others so that through you they may see the glory of God.